Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Who heard the question growing up as a kid, what do you want to be when you get older? Almost everybody. Okay. So I recently, probably within the last couple of years, I remember going to an elementary school and, uh, you know, ever the teacher asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, you hear a firefighter, an astronaut, uh, you know, I want to be of the president of the United States. And the teacher's like, oh, that's awesome. Can I tell you, after 28 years of my life, I heard the greatest response to that question of all time. Like towards the end of the group, this little kid in the corner raised his hand. What do you want to be when you grow up? Paul. I was like, that is the best response I have ever heard. And I want to be that kid because that was my life aspiration. I wanted to be tall and it's not working out so far. So uh, kids, if you're still in the room, your parents lie. Vegetables don't make you tall. It doesn't work or muscular. Granted, I don't like vegetables. So that is something to be said. In any case, we've heard that question so much, right? And we kind of our whole life is pivoted on what do you want to be when you get older? That's kind of how our whole life is set up. But to me, I think it's more complex than that. We've been in this series called B uh, because these are the core values of the bridge. Uh, this is the DNA of everything that we do from the top down. We want people to know that they belong here, that when you walk into this place, if you had a great week or a terrible week, you belong. If you walk in and you feel like life is just punching you in the face or you feel like, I just want to shout from the rooftops because life is so great, you belong. You're struggling in your faith, you belong. You're thriving in your faith, you belong. It doesn't matter where you are, what's going on. You belong when you walk into this place. The second core value we have is to believe. We believe in a Jesus Christ that died for your sins and rose again, which means you are free to live the life you're called to live. You're free from the guilt and shame that comes with sin. What that means is regardless of your background, regardless of your rap sheet, good or bad, we believe that Jesus died for you and he cares about you more than anything else. But those aren't bridge things. Those are scriptural things. Jesus made people feel like they belong exactly as they are. He said, hey, the woman at the well who had five husbands and the man she was with was not her husband. He didn't just guilt trip her. He didn't make her feel bad. He just made her feel like she belonged so that she could follow him. Same thing with Levi, the tax collector. And I love both of those things. They are in that order on purpose because a lot of times we try to become a better person so we can believe in Jesus and then we can belong to a church. But I would say the exact opposite is how it's supposed to be. You belong to a church no matter what. In this church, you do. I don't care what you've done, where you've been, what your week looked like, you belong here. But as you are here, you're going to see that we believe in a Jesus that cares for you. And then as a result of that, you become the person God calls you to be. We're going to dive into my favorite uh, B of, of the group, and it is become. For all of you linguistics people, all of you English majors, I want to show you something that I found out this week that was very, very interesting. Uh, I can't even say I planned this because that would be way too epic, uh, but I didn't. If you look up the definition of become, look at the definition here. To begin to be. Now, if you look at that, you're kind of like, 
that feels like one of those circular answers where it's like you actually have no clarity. It just kind of like spins itself on. You know what I'm saying? Like, but when you break it down, another kind of sub definition is you know grow to be or turn into. I love looking at John chapter one when Jesus calls this man named Peter, because his God given name is Simon. Came out of the womb, he was born Simon. But Jesus says, "Hey, you're going to be Simon." Peter. Peter actually means rock. And if you look at Peter's life for the three years he was with Jesus, he was everything but a rock. He was a mess. He was a complete mess. But after Jesus died and resurrected, Peter would become a rock. He was a foundation upon which the early church was built. He became everything. Jesus saw potential in him even before Peter saw it himself. So this morning, as we look into becoming, as we look into beginning to be the people God's called us to be, you have to understand you're accepted for who you are. You have to do nothing to persuade Jesus to love you. He loves you exactly as you are. But a good friend and mentor of mine said this to me years ago, and I will never forget it because he said, Jesus loves you exactly as you are. But he loves you too much to keep you there. He will meet you in the middle of where you are, but he loves you too much to just let you be in that. And parents in the room, you understand what that can look like. You love your kids no matter what. But you see things in them they don't even see in themselves. And what you desperately pray for and plan for and work towards is to help them become that person you see with inside of them. That's exactly where we are. So here's what we got going on today. Are you guys ready? Because here's what we got. Normally, I'm a preacher. I'm loud. I'm proud. I'm out here. I'm screaming at you, right? Not in a guilt way, but you just, if you're new in this place, just talk to some of the regulars. I'm loud. I don't need a microphone most of the time. I'm loud. But today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put on my teacher hat. I'm going to dive into scripture. We're going to pull stuff out. There's going to be a lot coming at you, but it's all going to make sense. It's going to be great. And so if you're ready this morning, would you do me one big favor? And if you're ready, say, yeah. Okay, Genesis chapter 37, we're kicking it back to the Old Testament towards the beginning. Verse 2 in Genesis chapter 37, Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, Israel, who was later renamed Jacob, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Okay, first and foremost, from a biblical perspective, it is right to have favorites in your kids. You know you have favorites at least in certain moments, okay? Here's what is, all jokes aside, here's what's very important to understand about this scripture, okay? 2,000 plus years ago in biblical times, your birth order was critical. The firstborn was the heir to the throne. So they had what's called the birthright. They had, they had, they were the next in line to take over the the house. They, you know, the sooner you're born, the more, privilege and power you had 
quite literally. Nowadays, it's not that way anymore. But here's the deal is if you were the youngest in the family, you were relegated to the junkiest jobs and you had the least power. So let me just break this down, okay? You have what is, well, you'll later find out they have like 10 kids. They have a lot of kids. Two full basketball teams of just theirs. They have a lot of kids. And so as the kind of reporter of your, the, the, the youngest that Joseph is, he's the one who just kind of gathers the report from the brothers and sends it back to their dad. So Joseph goes out to the field, sees the brothers are doing who knows what, must not have been good because it says he gave him a bad report about them. Translation, he tattletailed on them. Classic, right? Gotta love classic younger siblings. Riley, which kid are you? Number two. Okay. He's the middle child. Yeah, that's a whole other set of issues. Here's the problem. He tattletales on his siblings. But the text says literally Jose or Jacob has like this is his favorite kid. Even though he's the youngest, he's the one who he loves the most because he came to him in his old age. So he gave him a richly ornamented robe for him. This was like a lavish, expensive act that was is, is right saying. So let me just break this down into 2023. You have 10 kids. The youngest of the runt, the runt of the litter, the, the youngest tattletales on his brothers so in return he gets a bmw literally dad's like hey you're my favorite kid so i'm gonna give you a bmw just because i love you the most you might imagine there's a little bit of hostility between the youngest sibling and the rest of them and uh it only gets worse because look what it says here in verse five joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers they hated him all the more. Why is that? He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. So now you have Mr. Spoiled Pants who's going up to his older siblings who culturally he would serve them and he's saying, Hey, guys, guess what? At some point, you're going to be my servants. If you have multiple kids, how would that go over, right? How would that go over if you're like, hey, just so you know, you're going to be my slave. There'd probably be a wrestling match that would ensue. It would not go super well. And he kind of doubles down, and in verse 9, he says this, Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. All jokes aside, here's the reality. Dreams in this day and age were a legitimate, bona fide way in which God spoke to people. Dreams were a big way in which if God was speaking to you, he would come through a dream. So while this is not just kind of some younger sibling kind of rubbing it in, this is something where God literally is saying, hey, I'm going to put you into a place of leadership. Even your own siblings and family are going to bow down to you. This is a legitimate, legitimate dream. And here's what's crazy. 
is obviously the siblings didn't take it very well for obvious reasons. But here is the stinger for me. Imagine this, verse 10. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? You didn't catch the tone. He's basically saying, you must be outside of your mind because there is no way that would happen. Imagine that. You have this God-given dream. You're like, oh, yes, this is awesome. God's called me. God's chosen me. I can't wait to step into this. This is going to be great. You run to tell your dad, dad, guess what God's calling me to do? And his dad basically says, you must have heard wrong. Because there's no way that would happen. Talk about a stinger. Talk about a momentum shifter. Talk about a, oh gosh, that would just take the wind out of your sails. I couldn't imagine that feeling of you're jazzed up about something and just get squashed immediately. Maybe some of you in this room have had that moment where you're jazzed up about something and the person you're most excited to tell about just completely stomps on you. It's hurtful, difficult. But like I told you, I'm put my teacher hat on. I got four things for you today of how I believe you can become the person God's called you to be. And the first one is this. To become the person God has called you to be, you must endure those who say you can't. The more time you spend in communion with God, the more time you spend around God, the more you realize he's going to call you to do things outside of what seems possible. He's going to call you to do things that are uncomfortable. He's going to tell you, hey, go chase this dream I put on your heart to start a business, to go and move to that country, to go and do whatever it is that you're going to do. You hear these cool stories of people called to, to the missions field, and that's awesome, and we celebrate that and we get behind that. But the reality is, even if you stay here in the States, you're called just as much. You're called by God to do some awesome, awesome things. But to other people, it might seem audacious and outright crazy. You gave how much for that missionary? You did what for the church? You miss that for the church? You're going to leave this job and go and start that business? Do you know what the economy's like? Do you know, do you know what you're doing? Do you even have the skills for this? You're going to stay in that? Do you know how crazy you are for that? You kind of paint the picture here, right? Sometimes God's calling you to do something that to those outside of your situation seems audacious and nuts. But to become the person you're going to be, you have to stay the course and endure the opposition. Because as you're going to see, a little spoiler alert, they come around. You've got to have the courage to take those early licks. Because let me tell you something, even if it seems crazy to them, but you know without a shadow of a doubt God called you to do it, he is going to equip you through it. He is going to bring you through it if you trust him. So it's so critical to endure those who say you can't. If you know the story, it only gets easier for Joseph. Or not. 
at all. It gets actually way harder because here's the thing. He has this dream. Dad kind of squashes it. So the next day, his dad's about to get another report from his siblings. He walks out to his siblings who are out in the pasture tending to the sheep. He walks up to them, and the brothers come up with a good plan of like, okay, how can we get rid of the runt? He's annoying. Can't handle him. What do you think they come up with? Beat him up, wrestle him to the ground, kill him. That's exactly right. They're like, hey, do you know what we should do? Just make our life way easier. Let's just kill him. You thought your kids were bad. Just remember, Jacob, okay, his kids were extra crazy. One brother ends up standing up, and he's like, okay, no, 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 we can't, we can't kill him. Let's just put him in a hole and just kind of have fun. We'll, we'll, we'll poke fun at him. But he had this plan of, like, I'll come rescue him later and be the good brother. Problem is, as he's in the hole, he gets sold into slavery. These people drive by, and he's sold into slavery, and uh, off he goes to Egypt, hundreds of miles away. What a great dream this is, God. Thank you for giving me this. This is going so smooth and so great. Uh, I appreciate this, right? You flip the page. It says this in, in uh, Genesis 39. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, where Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Okay. So you're sold into slavery and you're getting picked up by one of the head-ranking officials in all of Egypt. Not a bad gig, because Egypt, at the time, they're kind of king of the world. They got money, they got influence, they got power, they run the world. Here you are, you're now serving in one of the pharaoh's officials. You're kind of like one of the head honchos, kind of like the presidential cabinet, if you will. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. And from the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. If you read this story from front to end, you'll notice a common three words. Well, five words, I can't count. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. It says it over and over and over again. The Lord was with Joseph. Even though externally things were falling apart, the Lord continued to be with Joseph. And you see in this very case what's happening is he's taken in as an Egyptian slave and everything he touches turns to gold. So Potiphar goes, hey, I'm going to make you my right-hand man. Slips him the keys of the house and says, hey, I want you to manage my whole household. I want you to manage my sheep, my cattle, my house. While I go and tend to Pharaoh, the king, I want you to just make sure my house is in order. Not a bad gig. Point number two, how you become the person God's called you to be. You have to understand your setback may be training ground in your development. By all accounts, this was a setback. God gives him a dream at 17 and says, hey, you're going to be a a ruler. You're going to be, you know, someone in charge. And now he's a slave. Before he was a kid, he was an heir to the throne. And now he's a slave, which is a lower ranking than being a kid. 
This is a setback to the dream if you're looking at the natural progression to being a leader. But you have to understand, as the 12th kid, he had no training in managing anything. He was purely the reporter or the message boy. And now he's having to learn how to count and manage cattle, how to balance the books, how to make sure the house is in order. He's his attendant, so he's overseeing all the other slaves. He goes from the janitor to the shift manager in terms of responsibilities. Your setback in your life, it may look like, man, I am so frustrated. I, I stepped out. I tried to start up this business, and now the financing fell through. My investors pulled out. Oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? I, find, I said, I, I felt like God was calling me to stay in my marriage, but now things are getting worse. Now they're getting worse, and I feel like whatever I'm doing here now is getting so much worse. Your setbacks are going to feel like they're setbacks, but it might be the very thing God's going to use to teach you something that will come into play later. If your business falls through, you learn how to grit your teeth and figure out other ways. If your marriage is getting worse, sometimes that gets to the root of the issue and you can rebuild on better. Your setback might be the very thing that God's going to use to develop you into something in, in years to come, months to come, days to come. Some of the strongest and healthiest leaders I know have walked through some of the most difficult situations, sometimes seemingly out of nowhere. But they've told me that season is what helped me in future seasons to come. Your setback might be the very thing God's calling you to do or to endure for his purpose. So how do you get through it? Five words. The Lord was with Joseph. The book of Hebrews says the Lord will never leave you or forsake you. The Lord is with Derek. The Lord is with Meg. The Lord is with the people of the Bridge Church. He is with you. Even if you're in a setback right now, take heart because he has overcome the world. Surely this is where it gets better, right? You have a bad or rough start. Okay, your brothers try to kill you. Who cares? Your brothers throw you in a hole. You get sold as a slave. Who cares? Now you're in. Now you're in a great, great spot. You have all kinds of household stuff. You got fancy cars or camels, whichever. It's all the same. And then you read this little gem in chapter thirty-nine. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. Man, does that sound familiar? I looked at Meg in the first service, and she rolled her eyes before I even said anything. Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. Now, you might be wondering, does that mean the same thing 2,000 years ago as it does now? Yeah, it sure does. Sure does. You have this guy who's running the house, and he's jacked out of his mind, I can imagine. And he's well-built, whatever that means. He's handsome. I know what that's like. You have all these things going on, right? The problem is, it's his master's wife. And she says, hey, come play Scrabble with me if you were here from a month ago. What did Joseph do? Verse 8, he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. 
everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. Why? Because you're his wife. How then could I do such a thing, wicked thing, and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Joseph is saying, look, this dude has given me everything. Why would I do this and betray him, first of all? Second of all, how could I betray my walk with God? How could I sin against God and do that? So even though day after day, you catch that? Day after day, he ta- she talked to him. Day after day, she tried to play Scrabble with him. Day after day. But what he do? He refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Not even be around her. How do you become the person God's called you to be? Number three, you have to understand your calling is not meant to transcend your character. If you have to compromise your character and your integrity to do it, it's not worth it. It's not. Sometimes the greatest and scariest spot you find yourself is not when you're failing, but when you're succeeding. Because when you're succeeding, the sting and the consequence of cutting corners seems a lot less intense. Things are going smooth. But your character is not meant to get broken down by your calling. I love that Joseph's like, I'm not even going to be around her because I need to stand up for what's right. I need us to understand he could have done this and gotten away from it totally fine. The official spent a lot of time with Pharaoh. No one would have ever known. But God would have known. It would have compromised the situation and the character of who he was. So Joseph just avoids her. But she's desperate. Verse 11. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties. And none of the household servants was inside. The house was completely empty. Potiphar's wife caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Joseph's going about his business, dusting the blinds, straightening the filing cabinet, doing whatever he's doing. When his wife, Potiphar's wife, comes and grabs him and says, Right now, let's go. So Joseph is so committed, so just committed to what he's doing. She grabs his cloak or his sleeve, and he just runs out of his clothes. Grabs him by the sleeve, and he's like, okay, don't need that. <laughs> runs off into skibbies, off into the countryside. Never thought you'd heard skibbies at church, did you? He runs as far away as he could, and what does he get in return? Surely he gets, you know, some kudos for his right act, correct? No. Potiphar's wife might be desperate, but she's not a dummy. When hubby comes home to save face, he goes, Potiphar, guess what happened today? I was just 
up in my room, minding my own business. And your Hebrew slave comes in, tries to sleep with me. Look, I got his coat right here. So what does he do? As a high-ranking official, he finds Joseph and throws him into jail. For how long, you ask? A couple days, a couple weeks. 13 years. Almost as long as I've been alive. Oh, come on. That was a good one. 13 years he was in jail for doing the right thing. 13 years. As he's in jail, what do you think he's thinking? Where are you, God? It sure doesn't seem like the dream you promised me. It sure doesn't seem like the leadership that you talked about. As a matter of fact, I'm going backwards. At least when my siblings hated me, I had a place to sleep and wasn't a slave or in jail. What gives? But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness, granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. The warden put Joseph, what? In charge of all those he held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that he has done there. I don't have time to get into the nitty-gritty. I could have made this a four-hour-long sermon, but I wanted you guys to come back. So I, I gave you the, the, the important parts. But go back and read this, because there's so many good nuances in this text. But let me give you the critical ones. Well, he's in prison, in charge. Two of Pharaoh's servants come down to jail. Pharaoh had a bad day, spilled his wine, threw him in jail. He can do that. His cupbearer and his baker are in jail. At night, they both have dreams. Who's really good at interpreting dreams? Joseph. Interpret the dreams. The one dream is, hey, in three days, you're going to be back in Pharaoh's good graces. And when you're back in his good graces, tell him about me. I'm getting me out of here for something I didn't do. I was framed. Guy's like, okay, yeah, if that happens, I'll do it. The other guy, his dream was in three days, you're going to die. So that, that one did turn out super well. But as he gets out of prison, he goes back up. And sure enough, Pharaoh brings him back up. He's back in his good graces, but he forgets to tell Pharaoh about Joseph. So he sits in jail for another two years until in Genesis chapter 41, now who has a dream? Pharaoh. The king. has a bunch of people come up. Hey, what's the meaning of this dream? I don't know what it means. Nobody can tell him. And then his cupbearer hears, oh, you're looking for a dream interpreter. Ooh, forgot about that one. Sorry. <laughs> Pharaoh, uh, when I was in jail two years ago, uh, there was this guy who interpreted dreams and was really good about it, and uh, he might be able to help you too. So sure enough, Pharaoh brings him up, and here's the interpretation of the dream. He said, Joseph comes up and says, hey, Pharaoh, here's the deal. For the next seven years, things are going to be really, really good in Egypt. You're going to have all kinds of grain, all kinds of crops. You're going to be loaded. But after those seven years, there's going to be a famine. There's going to be 
no food anywhere. As a matter of fact, the famine is going to be way worse than all the seven years prior. That's your dream. So Pharaoh being the smart man, he just says, hey, here's the deal. Along with Joseph's help and wisdom and discernment, he says, you better be, get prepared. For those seven years of the preparation, stuff food away. Get stuff away because you're going to need it for those seven years. And here's what I want to close with. Who puts him in charge? Pharaoh. Who gets him ready to put it, be in this position? Pharaoh. This guy who didn't even know how to do anything beyond a message now is being second in command. He is Pharaoh's right-hand man. Second in command in the whole world, essentially. So what happens in the story is sure enough, for seven years, the grain's plentiful, the harvest is great. There's so much that I don't know where to put all of it. But after those seven years, it's almost like overnight, everything dries up. And the famine's terrible and horrible. So bad that it spreads to the rest of the world. And a year after this famine takes place, there's a little family in Israel with 11 siblings and a man named Jacob who has no food is starving to death. So he sends his 11 kids to Egypt because why? I hear there's a bunch of food in Egypt. He sends him and through a series of events, 11 siblings, presumably mom and dad, go to Egypt country square, get down on their knee and humbly ask for food. And who is sitting on the throne while that's happening? Joseph. Joseph. For any math wizards in the room, when did he first get the dream? Do you remember? How old was he? 17. He got out of prison when he was 30. For seven years, he was putting food away. How old is he now? 37. A year later, here comes his siblings and his parents. He's 38. It took him 21 years to step into his dream. 21 years for his dream to be fulfilled. That's a long time. That's a long time of hoping and praying that this dream will finally come true, especially when you had to walk through so much to get to that point. But when I look at this story, everybody, I don't think Joseph became the man God called him to be when he sat on that throne. I think he became the person God called him to be when he started to follow his dream. Because here's the kicker with becoming somebody. Who you become is not a destination. It's a process. You don't become somebody when you step into a role. I didn't become a pastor 
when I signed a contract to be on staff with the church. I became a pastor and I decided to follow Jesus and listen to what he had to say day in and day out. And I chose to let my character be in line with what he wants me to do. Who you become is not something you just arrive at, it's something you're becoming over time. Joseph was becoming the man he was meant to be when he had to persevere through years of prison. He was becoming who God called him to be when he was adaptable and teachable. And he said, hey, I'm going to learn how to manage a household. He became who he was meant to be when he was just following God's plan through everything. Who you become is not a destination. It is a process. Which is why I think it's so fitting that the definition of become is to begin to be. Are you going to decide today you're going to begin to be who God's called you to be? Because as a church, here's what I'm going to tell you. Here's where we're becoming as a church. We're going to become obedient to what God's calling us to do. Sometimes God's calling you to something that's uncomfortable. Sometimes you follow his will and you share the gospel. It steps on some toes. We have to be obedient more than anything else. I want to hear when I die, well done, good and faithful servant. More than I want to hear, great job, pastor. I want him to say, good job. We got to be obedient. He's calling us to be. I want us to be authentic with each other. When you walk into this place, don't put on a face because you don't need to. Be authentic. Be real. Be raw. Because as a church, we're going to be authentic. We're going to be the real deal. Not just the facade. We're going to be a light. When we're at a football game, when we're at a restaurant, when we're in town, we're not going to go and scream at people about how wrong they are. We're going to love them and be a light. The church. We're going to be faithful. Faithful to what God's given us financially. Faithful to what he's given us character-wise. We're going to dream. We're going to dream for things that are bigger and better than we can possibly imagine. But at the end of the day, what we're going to be as a church, what I want to be as a human being, what I would challenge you to be, is to be anchored in Christ. The Lord was with Joseph. You're going to mess up. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to get it wrong. But that's okay. That's why he died. But you could just humbly ask for forgiveness and you'd be set free and you could keep on going the same way you were going. You are loved exactly as you are. But make make no mistake. He's going to take you to somewhere you've never been. And when you get there, it's going to be world-changing and life-changing. Not just for you, but for him. There's one verse I forgot to share, and it's probably my favorite in the whole story. Gavin, do you have Genesis 45 back there? Throw it up there. After the dream comes true, look what Joseph says. And now, do not be distressed. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Why? Because it was to save 
lives that God sent me ahead of you. You might have walked through something terrible in your life. You may have walked through some pain, some difficulty. I'm not saying God caused it. I'm not saying he was behind it. But what I am saying is that if you allow him to work in your life, he will use your toughest tribulations to save lives and to bring hope. After 21 years of all kinds of craziness, Joseph says, guys, don't beat yourself up. This was meant to be for the benefit of so many others. Your purpose is greater than any than you can imagine. It's important for you to understand that and walk out of this place. So if you want to get really practical, outside of four points, what it boils down to is you gotta spend time with Jesus. Will you commit to doing that today? As you're driving to work tomorrow, would you pray for your kids? yourself, your community. You listen to some worship on the way. I'm doing something I hate tomorrow. I'm waking up early. I'm going to open up this place if anyone wants to come pray. You don't have to, but this place is going to be open for a few hours tomorrow morning if anyone wants to come pray or receive prayer. If we want to become who God's called us to be, it starts with spending time with the one that's going to help us become. It's the anchor. I want to pray for you this morning that you experience that. Jesus, I thank you. Thank you, Jesus. That there are things yet in front of us that are not yet here. Dreams, ideas. Even more than that, there's a person we want to be in front of us that we're not yet there. And I pray, God, that today you would pinpoint and highlight an area in which each person that can hear my voice would understand. This is how I spend time with Jesus. This is how I become that person. And this week, no matter what distractions come their way, no matter what guilt and shame comes their way, they would step into it with power, conviction, and courage. And Jesus, for those in this room who don't feel like they're worthy of it, God, may they know the truth that if you both confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he is Lord, you will be saved. It's not about what you do, but who you are, who you follow. Jesus, go with us today. Show us, God, what you want us to do. Help us to become who you're calling us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Can we give it up for the Lord this morning? This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.